I don't know if anybody remembers, but back um, in December, I guess it was, there was news stories about a volcano in Hawaii that was beginning to erupt. And this was the biggest volcano, it's actually the biggest volcano in the world, Mauna Loa. And it started erupting and spewing lava late last year. And, and it's close to another active volcano called Kilauea. And it's in Volcanoes National Park. Notice volcano is plural. There are multiple volcanoes in this national park in Hawaii. And then they have a book saying things to do. Avoid it. That's the thing to do. Avoid the volcanoes. You know, and then there's this, this goofball standing next to a lava flow. He's like one of those, those people feeding bears in Banff National Park. You know, like you, you kind of hope the guy uh, gets his hand bitten off or something like this. And then in this case, you know, at least gets his feet scolded or something a little bit. It's, I don't know. They say, or they call Hawaii paradise. Maybe in two million years when the volcanoes stop erupting, maybe then it'll be paradise. Now I'm not so sure. But anyway, and I think really why I have this, this fear of volcanoes is because when I think about volcanoes, I tend to think of, you know, giant eruptions that, uh, and, and these fireballs of lava hurtling miles in the air, volcanic ash that's poisonous and spewing halfway around the globe. I think of the sides of mountains being blown off like Mount St. Helens. But, but active volcanoes like the ones in Hawaii are more often like these giant lakes of lava that sometimes overflow. And that lava slowly oozes its way down the side of a mountain and flows towards the sea. So the, the lava flows from Mauna Loa and Kilauea. I'm going to pretend I pronounced those right. Uh, <laughs> the, the lava flows from the, these volcanoes. They, they didn't destroy any homes, thankfully. But despite being relatively benign, you know, nature if you, of, the, of this, if you stay far away from it, the lava is not only dangerous, but all the ground around it is, you know, superheated, can be deadly. The air becomes toxic as you get close to, closer to it. And of course, there's the constant danger of more eruptions and full-scale eruptions at that. Jesus today says, you have heard that it was said to those in ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. If you're angry with a brother or sister. I'm glad the kids are mostly downstairs right now because how many of them aren't angry at a brother or sister right now? That's, uh, but how many of us can live up to that? Jesus is setting an awfully high bar here. I don't know if anyone can, can, I know I haven't lived up to that all the time. And I, I don't know, I don't know who can. You know, I can't get angry. It sounds impossible to me. And the way I understand it is that anger, anger's an emotion. And I don't, I can't help with emotions I'm feeling. I can control what I do with those emotions, 
how I act, how I deal with them. But the feeling itself is not something that I can deny that I am actually feeling. So anger, to me, it's... Jesus must be talking about something else because Jesus himself gets angry. You know, the, the most famous episode of Jesus getting angry is when he goes into the temple that's been turned into a marketplace and he throws out, says he made a whip of cords and he throws out all the money changers and merchants and overturns all their tables. So he gets angry there. But in Mark's gospel, there's an incident when a disabled man comes to him to see him in the synagogue and the Pharisees are, are looking to see if he's going to heal this man on the Sabbath. And and Mark says that Jesus looked around at them, the Pharisees, with anger. With anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The emotion that Jesus has is anger there. But what does he do with that anger? He heals. He actually heals. He doesn't hurt despite his anger. His sympathy and his mercy for the man with the, the, the withered hand is stronger than his anger towards the Pharisees, whom it says he grieves for. So when Jesus says today to not, to not be angry, it's a, a bit of Semitic hyperbole. He's saying that to, for effect. In fact, what he condemns in the, in the next sentence is the hurtful ways we manifest that anger. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. What he's saying, what Jesus is saying is that manifesting that anger with insults and slander, that's the sinful part because they're harmful to others. And ultimately, they're harmful to ourselves. Anger can be a dangerous emotion if, if we let it manifest itself with hostility, with insults, slander, with violence even. In fact, holding on to that anger is harmful too because it will come out, it'll come out in unexpected and hurtful ways. You know, it can even come out in, in self-harm. And yet I know most of us have been taught to repress anger, to deny it altogether. At least that's what I, what I do. Deny that I'm even upset at something. But how healthy is that? And here's where that volcano comes back into play. If we deny it, if we repress it, it's going to come out somewhere. It's going to come out in toxic flows that, 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 uh, that destroy things around us, or it's going to blow up. There are times when I've denied I'm angry or upset at something, and then I start to simmer inside if it starts to recur. And eventually, it boils over and I start to do toxic things. Or sometimes, not as often, but every once in a while, I blow up like a volcano. I can remember one time when I blew up, I was, I was working, this is 25 years ago, I was working in 
the stock brokerage firm, and I was, and I was feeling overwhelmed, like lots and lots of work. And what I see now is that I denied the the, the how how mad it made me every time somebody brought me more work. So but another problem or mistake that, that they wanted me to tell them how to fix it. And I pretended like it didn't bother me. Yeah, okay, I'll leave it here. I'll get to it. And but it did. I, I was. I didn't realize how how much it was bothering me. But once, I remember this one colleague from, she worked in another department, she brought me this, this uh, mistake that had been made on a trade. And I explained to her, okay, this is how we, how we fix it. But she thought she could fix it in another way that she thought would be less expensive, because it's always expensive fixing a trade that's been made, a, a mistake on a, on, a, on a stock trade. Anyway, she, she said, oh, this will be less expensive if we do it that way, she, I guess she said to herself. And, and when I saw, because the train came to me after a few days to settle, uh, to be settled, and so I saw that what she had done, and I got so mad because, well, first off, what she'd done was illegal. Second thought, now I'm going to have to fix it. And the third thing was now the delay would mean that it was going to cost all that much more to fix it. So she came into my office, and I was so angry. I started yelling at her. I started throwing papers all over the place. It was like, and, and the whole office heard the insults I was throwing around. I really made a scene, and then I just stormed out of the place. And normally, this was out of character for me. I was, you know, the even-keeled guy who didn't get flustered. But here I was, blowing up like a volcano, and storming out of the office for the rest of the day. Probably went home and had a few beers, and had a few more beers. I don't remember that part of the evening, but I'm sure that's what happened. And then the next morning, I was, and I was, I was still upset all the rest of the day, but the next morning, before work, I decided I, went, I was going to go to Mass and pray about it. And I went to St. Pa my, my office was near St. Patrick's Basilica downtown. And so I started praying about this. Why was I so mad? What was really getting me so upset? And I came to realize that the real problem wasn't what this one person had done. It wasn't so much angry at the prospect of correcting the mistake and it, and it costing more. It wasn't coming out of my paycheck, this, uh, the, the cost for this. What upset me was feeling that people were not taking me seriously. You know, if they came to me and asked how to fix something, why didn't they, they do it? Did they not value my, what I was contributing to the, to the office, to, the, to this company? Was I, you know, they're not valuing my contribution or appreciating all the long hours and the, that I was putting in, the hard work? And I, pre I realized at that point that I was probably oozing out toxic behavior and insults and and slander for a long time before I actually blew my top. So that morning after I finished praying, I went in and I talked to my boss. And she was, she was amazingly helpful. She offered right away to hire more staff to help me with the long hours that, to free me up. And she also made it she also sort of said, like, changed things up so that now any correction that had to be made, it was going to be made by me, since I'm the one who, who knew how to do these things, and not leave it to other people. 
and who didn't, you know, and they didn't, might have known all the intricacies involved. And it made our work environment better. And I apologized to that, that woman who I blew up to, and, and we ended up getting along pretty well. And the thing is, what I've learned over the years is that in prayer, in speaking to God, not just keeping up prayers, but speaking to God, I can express my frustration and my anger, and it's okay. God doesn't, doesn't mind when I get mad at him. Because it, it's actually, I'm trying to understand. It's actually me seeking to understand why something's happening, what it means. And, and to God, it means that I still want a relationship with him, that I haven't closed the door. And that alone, that venting to, before God, that alone helps me tremendously. But it also helps in prayer to find out you know, it, it, God guides me towards what the root of the issue is and what I can do to make the situation better, what, what I need to alleviate the underlying problem. And it doesn't mean that I don't have to work at it. There's lots of like work that you have to do afterwards. It doesn't magically disappear, these problems. But I see a way forward. And I know that God will be there to guide me, to help me see the things that I can't always see right away. And as I said, at the very least, I get to vent a lot of my anger to him without it being toxic for everyone else. And if you don't believe me that you can get mad at God, I'm gonna, let's take a look at one of the Psalms. The Psalms, which are their prayers to God, essentially. And some, like today's Psalm that we heard, they're prayers of, of praise. And some, some are not. And most... Most were written by King David, centuries and centuries before Jesus. He wrote a lot of, of those psalms, and he wrote them while he was in the throes of a civil war. And so in Psalm 140, David writes, Do not grant the wicked their desires, Lord. Do not let their plans succeed. Those who surround me proudly rear their heads. May the mischief of their lips engulf them. So far, so good. He's saying, you know, Lord, just, you know, let them, if they're, if, like, love them to their own devices and let, let the, the consequences of their actions, let them be, like, befall the consequences of their actions. Like, that's what, so far, it's okay. Here we, next line is where we get interesting. He says, did I get to the right one? May burning coals fall on them. May they be thrown into the fire, into miry pits, never to rise. Essentially he's saying, I want the volcano to land on them. I want those fiery coals to come down and land right on them, Lord. Blow it up. May slanderers not be established in the land, he says. May disaster hunt down the violent. I vent to God every once in a while, but I've never wished that hot coals fall on anybody. Hey, he's going pretty far right there. But, but mind you, I've, 
I've never had people actively trying to kill me in a civil war, so I'm going to let David slide on these things. He'll, uh, I won't pass judgment on him. But the thing is, in the midst of that civil war, David, at a couple of points, has the opportunity to kill Saul, his, his, the rival in this civil war that's going on. He has the opportunity to kill Saul. That's the guy he wanted those burning coals to fall on. And yet he doesn't act on it. He doesn't let the anger get the best of him because he's given it to God. He's prayed about it. He's, he said, God, you know, and he vents to, to God. So when it actually comes down to it, he's not going to act on it out of anger. And he wrote later on in that same psalm, he says, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Surely the righteous will praise your name and the upright will live in your presence. Essentially, David is saying, I know there are, your ways are better than mine, Lord. I know, I know that I want your ways to prevail. I want you, Lord. I want your life in me more than I want the vengeance or the wrath or anything else that takes me away from you. I'm giving you all that vengeance, all that wrath, all the, the anger, all the, the vitriol, all the things that I, that I, I, I just, the basest desires that I have, I just want to give them to you because I want you. I want your spirit in me rather than that. That's an amazing prayer. That's an amazing prayer because he's giving over the worst of himself to God because he knows God can take it. That God isn't going to turn from him because, because of his, the ugliness of who he is. Because he's not ugly in God's eyes. He's beautiful. He's, the, he's his beloved son. He's David. It's out of the line of David that Jesus is going to come. God knows that he wants his son to come from this line. And he sees him even in his, at his worst moments and he, God looks at him and loves him. And that realization too comes to us in prayer. That what God offers us, fullness of life, is way better than anything that I can imagine. That God's love for me is going to overcome all the, the, the ugliness within me. And while Jesus, yes, he sets that bar high today. But in striving to reach it, we can have the fullness of life that God promises us. We can have the, the spirit of God in us even today. <laughs>